you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. I want to just say how thankful we are for each of you who are here worshiping with us this morning. Very excited about what God is doing in our midst. We're praying that your life will be touched. Not often do I come... uh, with a word quite exactly like the one I'm bringing this morning. I I often um, preach to our children or preach to our our teenagers, our youth, our young adults. I preach to our ministry leaders. Uh, Very rare do I come and say, I feel like that God gave me a word to our elders. And maybe that is because I, um, I approach that lightly. Uh, although I'm 50, I look in the mirror and still see 20. I know you don't, but I do. You find that really funny this morning. Um, it's hard sometimes to see where we actually are in life. And I know without a doubt the Lord spoke to me. And I want to, well, let me just see what the Lord has for us this morning. I don't want to make too many prefacing remarks, but if you're in the building today and, and the word that I'm going to speak this morning speaks into your spirit, I want you to just, just to consider it from the Lord today. Would you do that? Consider it from the Lord today. Joshua chapter 14 and... Uh, we're going to begin with verse number 6, Joshua 14, and then I will um, be reading down through the 12th verse of Joshua chapter 14. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephnah, the Kesnite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barna. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden 
shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. I want to stop for a moment because in my reading, I don't want to just pass through because I'm going to preface this ninth verse a little later this morning. But I want you to catch what happened here. Moses declared, surely where your feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and watch what he says thy children's forever because there's a there's a because here because you wholly followed after the Lord and now behold the Lord hath kept me alive as he said these 40 and 5 years later, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old, or 85 years old. Caleb is now aging at 85 years old. Then verse 11, he says, as yet... I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Verse 12, and I'll preach from this this morning. Now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. By the help of the Lord today, I want to preach, give me this mountain. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. I know we just kind of go through motions sometimes. It's Sunday morning. We don't have an evangelist, pastor's home, standing in the pulpit to preach today. But I want you to sincerely pray that God would anoint me to deliver the word that he anointed me with this week during my preparation. And I want you to pray that God would open your heart to receive and that distractions would dissipate and that the Word of God would find its place right where it belongs in our heart. Would you pray with me right now? I want to hear you pray in the name of the Lord. God, we need you this morning. I need your help today, God. I need the anointing of God. Let it rest upon the messenger of today. Come on, let's magnify the Lord with a shout of praise. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Somebody shout, give me this mountain. Oh, come on, say it like you mean it. Give me this mountain. Come on, would you say it with me one more time? Give me this 
mountain. Give God praise once more this morning. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Hallelujah. You can be seated. I must admit that this message today comes from much pain and even a little embarrassment to stand in the pulpit and share with you the story of where I suppose this message began. It was from the lack of success, may I say, from my recent cut short trip that I made to the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. I was under the impression that my wife and family and church loved their pastor and husband and father and brother so much that they were giving me a leisurely trip to the Rocky Mountains where I may find rest and relaxation. It was a two-week kickback, take it easy with no pressure. I was looking forward to it for months. I went with the expectation of long opportunities to read. I took my books. I thought I would study. I had my study materials with me, opportunity to pray, to prepare sermons. And of course, it was all under the pretense of a Rocky Mountain big game elk hunt. My goal was downtime, decluttering my mind and finding rest in my spirit, serenity in the mountains. It was a trip of a lifetime, we kept saying. The trip there began in a whirlwind as I was scrambling out of town on Monday morning after a busy Sunday amidst the overwhelming barrage of dozens of well-meaning phone calls and text messages filled with well wishes and good thoughts for my much-needed therapy. I drove over 1,400 miles in 30 hours, arriving at my destination just before sundown the second day on Tuesday after a day of acclimation to the climate at 4,500 feet elevation, grabbing some last-minute hunting supplies. We arrived at our base camp on Thursday evening, a tent, a small cot, a wood stove, no cell service, location unknown, elevation 6,500 feet. What I was about to experience was quite different than what I had anticipated. The only way that I can explain this scenario would be to imagine with me an, a spoiled, overweight, out-of-shape teenager arriving at military boot camp, missing home, missing his bed, missing his mama, and a drill sergeant that had something to prove. This is what I was about to experience. I thought this was supposed to be fun. And I was about to understand it 
why the area in which I did not know until we arrived that we would be going into and hunting. The locals referred to it as Hell's Canyon. Here's why. After a 20-mile drive going as far as four-wheel drive pickups could go into the wilderness, we set up camp. When the alarms went off at 3.30 a.m. On my rest and relaxation vacation, I was confused and wondering why I thought this was a good idea. And what could possibly be happening that was fun at this time of the morning? At least I woke up to a huge, hearty, tasty breakfast, which was, I was not accustomed to prior to 8 a.m., and I would get to enjoy twice. Shortly after 4 a.m., we strapped into ATVs, side-by-sides, for yet another 20-mile ride down trails that horses would buck about, mules would kick about, and the big breakfast was a major regret. My driver was a former ATV racer. This fast-paced mountain cliff knuckle-whitening ride would be best described as one hour and 20 minutes of a non-stop Kings Island roller coaster experience. It was ever ex every experience with the exception of upside down, and I thought we were about to do that a few times. Sounds fun. Do that on a full stomach before 5 a.m. When we arrived at our destination, I climbed out of the cab of the ATV and I ran into the bushes. For the first time in my life, I learned the effects that motion sickness could have upon the body from a swerving driver. After pulling myself back together, I returned to my guide's side only to have him tell me as I walked up in a cold sweat, hurry, get ready, it's time to climb. Climb, I said. Climb, what are we climbing? Are we hunting out of a stand? He smiled and he said, we're about to climb that mountain. We weren't in Arkansas, Sister Anderson. We weren't in Virginia. We were in the Rocky Mountains. There's a reason they are known to be steep and deep. Climb. He pointed in front of us at the mountain and he said, we're going over this mountain and we're going to hunt 
over the other side. And if we don't see anything there, there's one more we'll go over. Okay. I was speechless. Nevertheless, I positioned myself on the heels of my guide, which was my first mistake. I started my first ever mountain climb, armed with my rifle in my hand and a 30-pound backpack. We began to march up the mountain. I was so close to my guide that every time his foot went down, I would put my foot where his was and was determined his two-year-older-than-me self was not going to outdo me climbing a mountain. Boy, was I wrong. After about 50 or 75 feet of elevation, I was completely out of breath. Well, actually, after five feet, I was out of breath. But I pushed on, and after about 50 to 75 feet, I finally had to stop, and my guide kept going. And in my out-of-breath way of saying, I've got to stop, and I'm trying to catch my breath, and he's walking on only to hear the echo, come on, it's going to get daylight on us. With my swift word of, we need to hurry, I pushed on another 50 feet of elevation and then it happened. My world went black. Everything began to spin and my legs began to buckle and I wanted to stay on my feet, but my body said no. I collapsed onto the ground. Everything was black. I knew I was in trouble. And with all the energy that I could, I let out the strongest yell that I could for my guide to come back where I was because I knew what was about to happen. As I felt illness come over my body, I recognized that if I were to follow through with what was happening, perhaps I was about to have an attack similar to what I had had a couple of years prior that ended me in the hospital for seven days. I was trying to explain to my guide what was going on but it only was coming out in slurred words such as, I'm really sick. When I came back to my senses 15 or 20 minutes later, it was daylight. My guide was standing in front of me holding my rifle. My backpack was off. He's standing there holding me, holding napkins and telling me, we need to get over this and get on up the mountain. Right there on the mountain, I started praying and asking the Lord for help, and I was not understanding why that the guide was not praying for me. All the while, drill sergeant was urging me to continue to climb. I wobbled back to my feet. He said, I'll take your backpack. He threw it over his shoulder. He said, here, take your gun. No, better, I better take your gun. Here, use this. You're not standing well, sir. Here, use this walking stick for a little balance and let's continue to climb I made it another 15 to 20 feet when again I collapsed behind a down tree and I knew that was the end I wasn't sure if they would be flying in to airlift me out or what was going to happen I was coming in and out of consciousness 
and for three hours I laid behind a log, sick as I have been in my lifetime, until finally I gained enough strength and sense about myself, if you call it sense. I gained enough of my senses, maybe I should say, that I was able to go back down the mountain. My adventure had ended as quickly as it had begun. After coming back home, visiting the doctor, seeing a cardiologist, the cardiologist found no problems. He said it's very typical of someone with vasovagal, vasovagal uh, syndrome. Uh, nothing to worry about. You're healthy. We'll run a few tests to prove that everything is good. But it might be that you should think twice about climbing a mountain unless you want to get in shape and lose a good bit of weight. Duh. I paid a cardiologist to tell me that. After coming home, someone asked me, Pastor, would you ever do this again? And I reluctantly said yes, but I would be 60 pounds lighter and in top physical condition. But that was two weeks ago. Now I've become a little more determined. My wife said it like this, uh-oh, the Jordan tenacity is coming out of you. Over the last two weeks, I've become more determined than ever to not allow that mountain to conquer me. So I have decided that I'm going to lose weight and get in shape. Anybody ever decided that in the middle of the year? I'm going to possibly start a diet tomorrow. We need to eat well today, babe. And I'm going to start exercising as soon as my life slows down a little bit. Check on the gym membership. We might need it in a few months. Actually, I've decided that I cannot wait for the opportunity to go back and look that impossible situation in the eye, shake my fist at the place where my abilities ran out, and declare, give me this mountain. The man in our text, his name is Caleb. Caleb wanted the mountain that was promised him. You remember Caleb, right? Caleb, he was one of the spies that went out to review the promised land and to bring a report back. Caleb was one of the two, only two that came back, Joshua and Caleb. He was one of the two who was not in, intimidated by the Canaanites and their fortified cities. He wasn't sh shaken by the fact that the others were calling them giants. He, was, he never flinched. He wanted to engage their foe. They were confident that God would grant them the victory. The other spies said we can't, but Joshua and Caleb, they didn't have an I can't in their spirit. They believed that anything was possible because God was on their side and they believed they could conquer the land no matter what obstacles that they came. They came back when everybody else said they couldn't. Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can. 
The others were fearful and intimidated. But Joshua and Caleb had unwavering faith. The majority said we can't. But against all odds, Joshua and Caleb says we can. Listen. It was only because of their attitude of faith and their confidence toward God and their faithfulness that Caleb and Joshua were the only two who lived through the 40-year wilderness journey. All the others, everybody else died, making Caleb and Joshua the two oldest Jews to enter into the promised land. At the time of this chapter, Israel had been engaged in combat for five years. Caleb now is 85 years old, but his age never caused him to doubt or to fear. His age didn't detour him. His age didn't cause him to fear. And he didn't stop past failures and other experiences in life. Never caused him to back up and question and doubt. But Caleb, at 85 years old, looked at the mountain and he said, Give me this mountain. There's not a person in this room today that's at my age or older that, could, that would ever say that you can look at every day of your life and say, I'm just as strong now as I was back then. We would be foolish to say that in a physical world, in a physical realm. I don't believe it was physically that Caleb was speaking of, but I believe he was talking about a spiritual tenacity and faith that caused him to say, I am a as strong now as I was when I was 40. I may be 85, but give me the mountain. I'm ready to conquer the mountain. I won't quit. I won't sit down. I won't throw in the towel. I won't let somebody else conquer it for me. Give me this mountain. Caleb was eager to claim the land. Caleb was a man of great faith and courage. But why? Why did Caleb have such special interest in Hebron? Why was this mountain so important to him? Because it was more than just a mountain. It was God's promise 45 years earlier. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. There are some people in this room today that God has spoken promises into your life. You have trusted God and believed God. Maybe some of you for 45 years, maybe for 10, 15, 20, maybe some of you for longer than 45 years, and you've stood on the promise and claimed it, but there's a point that you feel like giving up, you feel like quitting, you start wondering, will I ever see it in my lifetime? But I'm telling you that there is a reason that Caleb had such interest in Hebron because 45 years earlier, God had promised and had said, this mountain is going to belong to you, but not just to you. This mountain is going to belong to your children. 
And I believe that word was enough to cause Caleb to be stirred to say, I'm not here just fighting for myself, but I realize my children and my grandchildren and all of those who are going to follow are depending on me taking this mountain. I may be 85, but devil, you better watch out. I'm going to God in prayer. I'm going to God in worship. I'll take my faithfulness before the throne. Give me this mountain. I refuse to be conquered because of my age or my physical limitations. Give me this mountain. Oh, somebody give God a shout of praise. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why was it so important? Why was Hebron so important to Caleb? Because this is where Abraham's wife, Sarah, had died. She was buried there. This is the only land that Abraham ever owned in Canaan. He's promised land like the sands of the sea. But this is the only place that he owned. He purchased it so he could bury Sarah there. God's promises of a land was not for Abraham, but was to be passed on. But his promise was for his children and for his descendants. Now Abraham is also buried there. And so was Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Joseph. This was the land of Caleb's forefathers. He recognized there's more to this land than just whether I give it up and walk away because I'm fighting for the sake of the history that I have connected to this land. But I'm fighting for those who have not yet come to the point where they recognize that they need to climb this mountain. I'm not preaching to our young adults and I'm not preaching to our children or our youth that are in their classrooms this morning. But I am specifically preaching to this group, this congregation that is here this morning to declare that some fights, some mountains that we have to conquer, it's not, we can't be selfish about it and say, well, what's in it for me? There may not be a whole lot in it for you, but you've got to fight because there were some elders that gave their life and they died and were buried on the mountain and there are some children that have been promised a mountain and the only link between our elders and our children is us being willing to declare I will climb up the mountain. I may be weary, I may be tired but give me this mountain. Somebody give the Lord praise and declare this morning, I want my mountain. I'm going to see my prayers answered. I'm going to see my family saved. I will walk up this mountain. So it's the land of Caleb's forefathers where they were all laid to rest. One of the object, uh, objections to the 
other ten spies that was there to claim the land that came back and said they couldn't. They, they said, there are giants in the land. That has always been a problem with God's people. Giants have never been a problem for God. But giants have always been an issue with God's people. God never said the mountain is going to be easy. But he did say, I'll go with you. This reminds me of a quote I read by Chesterton. He said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. Caleb was confident that God would help him conquer the mountain. He wholly, the Bible used the word, wholly trusted in God. When others shrank in fear, Caleb said with faith, give me this mountain. Caleb didn't look at the odds. Caleb didn't look at the circumstances. Caleb didn't didn't look at the fact they had been battling for five years. Caleb looked at God. When the enemy shows you your mountain, you need to show your mountain your God. Alan Redpath said, the majority measured the giants by their own strength. But Caleb and Joshua measured the giants by their God's strength. Caleb knew that the following generation was depending on him. He knew that there was an obligation that he had to conquer the mountain. I want to speak directly to this congregation this morning and tell you CLC adults, we cannot put the responsibility of the next generation on our teachers and our youth ministers. That got about 20 of you clapping this morning. I wish I could get the other 150 on board to understand it's not their responsibility. They have them an hour and a half on Sunday and an hour and a half on Wednesday. It is our responsibility to teach them how to climb the mountain. It's our responsibility to climb the mountain in front of them and tell them you can do it. Come on, I'll climb with you. I may be old, but give me this mountain. The next generation of apostolics in the city of Frankfurt is depending on us. We need to conquer the mountain of prayerlessness. If we don't conquer prayerlessness, we can't expect the next generation to conquer prayerlessness.
We need to look at what got this church to where we were. It wasn't dynamic music. It wasn't great oratory. It was a prayer room somewhere where people broke through in the Holy Ghost. I tell you what's going to bring revival. It's going to be when the church gets a prayer meeting going. It's going to be when the elders conquer the mountain of prayer and declare I'm climbing up the rough side of the mountain. But I know that there is victory when we get to the top for some we need to conquer the mountain of our flesh I discovered what too much flesh will do on a mountain I threw a 30 pound backpack on my back It felt fine when I left the tent. But after about a half mile, I had to stop and set it down. That thing felt like it weighed about 150 pounds. I carried it for a while. I was determined that I was going to finish my day. But I'm going to tell you, the next morning I lightened up the load. That backpack didn't weigh 30 pounds the next morning. I looked at my brother and said, if that 30-pound backpack's giving me so so many fits, I wonder what would happen if I'd lose about 30 pounds of this flesh. He said, well, there you go. There's the real story. The problem is is some, some of us complain about the church, leadership, struggles, and mountains when the truth is the problem is we have too much flesh. I know you're not used to me coming strong on a Sunday morning, but we've got to conquer the mountain of our flesh. We've got to get the flesh under control. We've got to conquer the attitudes and the spirits. We've got to conquer this flesh. We've got to get it under. That's why Paul said, I die daily. That's why he said, I keep under my body. We've got to get this flesh under control and understand if I'm going to take the mountain, I can't do it in my flesh. Some of my flesh needs to die. Thank all 30 of you for agreeing with me. We've got to conquer the mountain of faithfulness. When our participation and attendance and cooperation is predicated on the wind and what's happening around us, I'm not sure if we're going to church. I'm going to tell you, I grew up in a house. My brother and I were talking about it the other day. One thing my parents did, we never had to question if we were going to church. I don't suggest you come to church if you're contagious and have a fever. But I'm going to tell you this much. I specifically remember what it felt like laying on the couch in my dad's office, burning up with fever and sick. Because my dad said, oh, you're sick? We need to go to the church and have them pray. I didn't stay home from church because I was sick. I stayed in my dad's office. I had a trash can sitting beside me. You know what it's for. You've been sick. 
I'm not suggesting that you need to come to church with fever and you need to come to church sick. I'm not suggesting that you need to put everything in front of your, your, of, of your family and your marriage. I'm not suggesting those things. I, I'm suggesting some balance here, but I am going to preach to you for a moment about faithfulness. If we don't look at our elders and the faithfulness of our elders and recognize that if we don't climb up this mountain now, our children and youth are not even going to have an example of what real faithfulness is. I show up to church when the lights are on and when the doors are open. I participate in anything I can possibly be part of. I don't want to make the church part of my life. I want the church to be my life. I don't want God to be a portion of my day. I want God to be my everything. I don't want my salvation to be something I do on Sunday. But I want to be faithful in all ways. Good, I got about 40 of you. I'm going to preach until I get everybody on board this morning. Let me go to the next step and tell you that our elders knew what it was to worship when they didn't have good music. We've got to conquer the mountain of worship. It can't be about the lights and the good music and the excellent singing. We've got better music and singing today. We've got talent galore. These youth and young people are surpassing all of our abilities. But I came this morning to tell you, God isn't interested in your talent, but He is interested in your worship. He's seeking such who would worship Him. I know it costs you. I know you're tired. I know you're over 40 now, but we got to conquer the mountain. You may not be able to make a lap around the church, but you can lift up a hand. You may not be able to shout as loud as others, but you can say hallelujah with everything you have. We've got to conquer the mountain of worship if the next generation is going to have an example. Somebody give the Lord a shout of praise. You ought to make the roof rattle in this house. You ought to give God praise. We're going to conquer the mountain of worship. There are some things that we need to conquer. For the next generation. Our sacrifices, our offerings, and our giving, we can't put that on somebody else's shoulder. If this church is going to continue to have the revival that we've had, every one of us are going to have to feel the responsibility and understand that God didn't say it was for one or two. Those with much or those with little. As a matter of fact, he didn't say, I'm going to make it equal and everybody in the church do their 50 bucks a week. He said, I'll make it equal. Everybody do their 10% back to me. And then, if you want a blessing in your life, you do above and beyond. And the above and beyond, your blessing will be dependent upon how you value God. And so according to your giving, the 10% is non-negotiable. That belongs to God. That's not even yours. He trusted you with it to see if you were a thief. 
you got to give that back to him. But above and beyond that, he says, now is the principle of blessing, giving and blessing. He said, now you can do above and beyond. And he said, I will trust you with that. I'm not putting an amount on it, but I want to know how you feel about God. I want to know how blessed you consider yourself. And if we example in front of our children the lack of generosity, our children will never see the things that we saw because our elders gave everything. Mm -hmm, Now I'm back to about 10 now. Because I'm where we live. But we've got to conquer the mountain of sacrificial giving. Of our time, our talent, and our treasure. There are some things that we need to conquer for the next generation. I'm telling you today, I see great potential in the next generation. But we must be willing to climb up the mountain and conquer it in front of them. Here's what Caleb said. Caleb He first came to Canaan, and when he first encountered Hebron, he vowed to return it and to claim it for the next generation. That was at 40. But you know what we say? Well, that was then, and now I'm a lot older, and I feel a lot differently. But Caleb said, I was 40 when it was promised, and when I said, I'll come back and conquer it. I'm 85. Give me this mountain. I am as strong today as I was then. My decision then was as firm as it is now. We can't afford to be in this for ourselves. If this is all about us, the next generation will be lost. But we need to take on some mountains for the next generation. I know it's not always easy. But it's really a matter of perspective. Some see obstacles while others see opportunities. Do you see your obstacle or do you see the God who conquers your obstacle? When I came off the mountain, and I'm quickly closing, but when I came off the mountain, I was sick. My body was depleted. I was weary. It took about 36 hours for me to get strong enough to feel like driving home. The Lord gave me seven things laying in my bed. He gave me seven things to bring back to this church. I'm not going to belabor the point. I've already preached my message. But I would be amiss this morning if I didn't bring the things that I feel the Lord spoke to me and told me to bring you. Number one, there is nothing that can prepare you For your mountain, like your personal experiences. They told me what I needed to do, but I had no idea until I got on the mountain. Some of us say, well, I tell you, I don't know about this next generation. Show them. Don't sit back and criticize them if you're not showing them. Well, I tell you, I don't understand these young people. They want to run up to the front. They want to jump up on their feet. Show them how. 
If you have a better way, model it in front of them. But sitting with arms folded, looking at the ceiling and staring at the preacher, it's not going to get the job done. You've got to lead by example. There is nothing that will prepare you like your experience. I've been through a lot, Pastor. I've been hurt. That's what prepares you to climb the mountain. You won't get discouraged like they will. you got to climb the mountain in the midst of pain and discouragement and heartache and say come on child of God follow me up the mountain as I follow Christ the second thing I want to say to you in order to conquer the mountain you have to be conditioned for the climb you must have yourself in shape for the climb I'm not talking about age because age doesn't matter because Caleb said I'm as strong now as I was when I was when I was 40. Now I'm 85 and I'm just as strong. Age doesn't matter. What matters is your experience and your conditioning. You can talk about whatever you want, but there is nothing that will condition you like your experience and your prayer and your worship. There's some days that I'd fall apart on Monday if it wasn't that I was at church on Sunday. Because the devil slapped me right in the face with all sorts of junk all week. I get to the house of God on Sunday and I declare I'm not going to let a child out-worship me. I'm not going to let a new convert out-worship me. I'm going to lead in worship. I'm going to lead in prayer. Well, that's what you're supposed to do, Pastor. Don't you get paid for that? Baloney, I get paid. I get paid to do what I do. But my personal relationship with God has nothing to do with my position in this pool or in this church I want to be a worshiper I want to be a soul winner I want to be one who leads the charge and declares I am ready to climb when God says climb the third principle that I want to bring you to climb the mountain is they told me after my failure they said, don't let anybody rush you. Don't let anybody push you. You climb steady and slowly. When you feel like you need to take a break, you take a break. But when you overcome the altitude, you go back walking. Don't stand still too long. Because if you stand still too long, the lack of oxygen will cause acid to build up in your muscles and then it will be even harder to move. The point is, take a break long enough to catch your breath and get back on the mountain. Mm -hmm. I'm preaching to some folks this morning. I'm right where you are today. Oh, I've climbed my mountain. I'm going to let these younger ones do it. I'm preaching to you this morning. Come on, you, you're letting things build up in your system that God never intended to be there. I don't want you to die on this mountain. I want you to lead the charge of climbing up the mountain. Take a break, catch your breath, but get back on that mountain and you keep going because they say it's the movement of the muscles that keeps that lactic acid from building up and it keeps it pushed out. You just keep moving. You catch 
catch your breath and keep moving because if you ever stop, your muscles will freeze up and you won't even be able to move. you got to keep moving. I'm not going very fast. Just keep climbing the mountain. I'm not able to do a lot, Pastor. Do what you can do and keep doing it and do it as slow or as fast as you want to. But stay on the mountain and keep climbing. I touched on this one a moment ago, but extra weight. Number four, extra weight makes climbing nearly impossible. After understanding what extra weight would do, I cleared my backpack down to 10 pounds. And my brother said, let me carry your backpack. (laughs) He took my backpack, just overcame surgery, had a knee replacement, stitches taken out of his back three, three weeks before, two weeks before we left to take the trip. He took my backpack, put it on his shoulders. He said, these guys don't know where you are. They don't know how you feel, but I suffer from the same thing you, sh- you, sh- you suffer from. He said, I'm not going to let you carry that backpack out of here. I want to take all the weight off of you that I can. He said, give me that backpack. Give me all the extra weight. All you got to do is you just worry about yourself. We're going to get you out of here. Sometimes you need a brother. Don't ever climb alone. You climb with a brother or a sister. That on the day that you're not doing too well, let's say, come on, give me that extra weight. Let me carry it. Let me go another step. The Lord himself even said, why don't you give a cast all your cares on me? He said, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us that you may run this race with patience. I come this morning to tell you, some of you are dragging baggage around with you and carrying weight around with you. You're never going to be successful and you're never going to conquer the mountain for the next generation. You want to see your family saved. You want to see your family moving forward. You want to see your kids moving forward in ministry. Get the weights off of you. Lay the weights aside. Find a brother or sister to to connect with and let them carry your backpack. Tell them, come on, I'm having a hard time. Let them carry. Oh, come on out. I have more people in this house this morning that'll say, I may not be much, but I'll carry my sister's backpack. I'll carry my brother's load. I'll pray with them when they can't get through on their own. Number five, there are some essentials that must go with you. When everybody else leaves some things aside, my guide came in and he said, there's some things that's got to go with you. He said, you got to take water. You cannot go without water. He said, don't risk this. I know it's not much, but he said, take a lighter in the event that we get a weather change. He started going down the list. Take this item and take that item. Anything else that's in your backpack, he said, lay aside, but there's some essentials you got to take with you. I don't have time this morning to preach all the essentials that we need to take with us, but there's some things we need to take with us, and some of those essentials we need to take with us are the mountain that we're trying to climb because there's some things we got to take with us that is going to to be the success of us getting there. We're going to take the name. We're going to take the doctrine. We're going to take Jesus' name baptism. We're going to take separation from the world. We're going to take all of these things that our elders fought for. We've got to take them with us. There are some things that must go with us. Number six, 
you must acclimate to the altitude. Anybody who's ever spent any time at high elevations understand the importance. Perhaps it should have been number one on the list. The issue was not my inability physically. What I could not do there, I could have done with no problem here in the flatlands of Indiana at 600 feet elevation in Frankfort, Indiana. But at 10,000 feet elevation where the oxygen is thin, they said it takes several days for your body to acclimate. So I ask questions. Is it because of my physical inabilities? Is it because of my age? They laughed and said there's no correlation between age and your need to acclimate. It can affect a 20-year-old and not affect an 80-year-old. We have no explanation for what you need, but all we know is you got to stay full of water. I don't have time to preach every and chase every rabbit in this message this morning. But there are some things that you've got to have with you. And there are some things that you've got to take with you. But there is nothing that is going to help you any more than acclimating to the altitude. What does this mean? This means that the church may have some things. This next generation may be a little different. They may see things a little differently than the way we see them. They may enjoy things. Their music style is differently. You know, I love that good 80s style, deep, strong snare drum. Brother Danny, he he wasn't around in those days. He was a kid. He never knew what good music was. He likes that high piccolo sounding drum because that was his generation. That's what he likes. I like that 80s snare. Come on, Brother Mick, where you at? He liked, man, I like that deep booming snare. That was my style. I I can go back. I enjoyed Dallas Home and Praise. I like Russ Taff and the Imperials. I thought I'd have people running laps right about now. I can go back, that was my day, but I can't worship because it's my style. This next generation does things that I don't even understand. I try, but as long as I don't find any Bible against it, I've got to acclimate to the altitude. This next generation's coming up. I don't want them feeling like I'm an old fuddy dud and only worship with my style of music. I want to get with it with whatever's going on. If it's fast, slow, loud, or soft, if their lights are light or the lights are dim, I want to just say hallelujah anyhow. God's never failed me. We've got to acclimate to the altitude. Seventh thing, and I'm closing with this for real. There is one thing if you're going to climb a mountain, it takes determination. Not for a minute do I think that Caleb didn't have something in his system when he shouted out, I'm just as strong today when I'm 85 as I was when I was 40. I got a feeling that something inside of him said, what did I just say? But if you're going to conquer the mountains, you've got to have some determination 
You can't have any quit in you. If there's quit in you, the devil will find that quit. If there's quit in you, the mountain will find that quit in you. You you can't have any quit in you. You've got to make up in your mind, I am determined. I'm not turning around. I'm not turning back. I'm not looking back. I may not be as fast as everybody else. But there's one thing I know. I'm going to go there. I woke up the next morning. I was sick and weary. My God says, you're going to lay in bed today or you're going to go. I said, I'm not going to be able to go far. And I'm not going to be able to do much. But I was determined enough in my mind. I said, where are you going? He said, I'll take you to a place not quite as steep. I said, I don't care where you take me. But this much I know, I'm going to give it my best shot. I went walking out the next day. My brother's looking at me saying, are you sure? Are you sure you don't want to lay down? Are you?" I said, I need to go home. I need to go to the doctor. But there's some determination in me that says I may not be physically fit. I may not be able to run up the mountain like the young guys could. But I tell you this much. I am determined that I won't quit. I won't throw in the towel. I won't stop I wish there would be some elders in the house this morning that would step out from where you are and walk down here to the front and say it may take me three minutes, but I'm going to get down there this morning and I'm going to let the devil know. Give me my mountain. I'm not quitting. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not giving up. Give me this mountain. The devil's going to have a bad day. I see some elders stepping out this morning saying, I'm coming after my mountain. My children are going to be saved. I'm getting my prayer life back on order. My grandchildren are going to be saved. I'm going to do something for God. I may not be 40, but I'm still strong. Come on, commit that to the Lord. Commit that to the Lord. Declare it to him. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. Yeah. Going back. 